Thank you for joining us for the next episode of Recast, the podcast from Remit Consulting. In this episode, we'll be getting updates from the MIPIN conference earlier this year and BizNow more recently. We'll then be talking about the relationship between innovation and laziness and how the pandemic has changed how we innovate and what this means for right now as we get more back to normal. Paddy? Hi Kat, how are you? I'm well, I'm just really, really pleased to be back. You know, we're back in the office a few days a week, we're back going to conferences face-to-face, which is the main bit of my job that I absolutely love, and we're back podcasting. We are back, back in the studios, as we uh, <laughs> as we like to think of them. I imagine our regular listeners have been missing us a little over the summer break. Indeed, I hope they have. Um, But we have got a real bumper episode today, which will tick off all of the exciting property news from the last couple of months. Um, Fill our listeners in on kind of what we've taken away from all these lovely face-to-face conferences, if they haven't made it themselves. And we've also got some sneak previews of the latest return and remark figures. And we're also joined today by a really special guest of the show in the form of Remit's newest recruit and recast superfan, Emily Bates. Hey, Kat. Hi, Paddy. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be taken as a superfan, but I'm not saying it ain't accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. And uh, you joined Remit in September. And I understand you've listened to every episode of Recasts and thought it was only right that we should get you involved. Yeah, it definitely was something that as I joined, I managed to slip it into conversation with Kat quite quickly. So I'm very glad to be here. Well, great to have you. it is great to have you. So on to the news. It's been a super busy summer. It seems like everywhere you look, there have been acquisitions, mergers, changes in use of planning. And so we'll try and cover off as much of that as possible. But Emily, as our guest, you can go first. What's, what's really caught your eye in the property news landscape in recent weeks? Oh, well, thanks, Kat. So something that I kind of took note of pretty recently is the ever-growing like dark storeroom, dark kitchen, which all sounds very mysterious. But I think it sort of came out or at least came to the surface during the pandemic as takeaways became the alternative to going out for dinner. I think everyone's really loved being able to make the most of that. And I was looking at app delivery services in these storerooms and they're all taking over across the UK and but what I'm most interested in, what I'm going to talk about mostly here is these checkoutless shops where you can just walk out, like the Amazon stores. There's one in Camden in London. Tesco's is setting one up where you can just run in, you grab what you want and you leave, but you're not stealing. That's the best bit. You're just you're actually paying for the things through some magical technology. And I think this really could be something that takes over. I think a lot of people might make use of this. So, yes, I think it's a really big change that's come out of the pandemic, and I'm excited to see what happens next. That that does sound like it will be an absolute game changer for me because it. I do feel like I spend a lot of my life dashing into a shop to grab something um, and then looking at the queue to pay and thinking, do I do I absolutely need this? So if the UK needs me to continue to keep its economy afloat, um, that, that might that might be the push I need. Yeah, I'm just a bit worried about, I will feel like I'm shoplifting. You know, okay. I, I have trouble with the uh, scan yourself things that you get in Tesco's and Sainsbury's. And I walk around and I just scan things with my mobile phone, drop them into my bag. 
And uh, I often think someone watching me is paranoia, but I do feel like I'm shoplifting sometimes. As long as you're not going around and just fake bleeping, as long as you're actually bleeping, then I feel like you're all good. No, I don't fake bleep. This is this is uh, a vicious rumour. Do we do we know what the magical technology that's enabling people to just walk out uh, with their stuff is? I know the Amazon store uses its app. So you walk in like train station gate things where you like tap your phone to tap in, tap out. It's very similar to that. So you register yourself going in and then you register yourself, yourself leaving. And that's really magical. interesting. The, that kind of data um, has been used for years and years on footfall, hasn't it? With uh, Paddy in, in retail looking at, you know, number of mobile phones walking through um, through areas and then also number of mobile phones that are converting into customers using the Bluetooth of, you know, if it passes the certain threshold, then it's in. Yeah, because there was that uh, push technology sending people special offers because you happen to be in the you know, I don't know, the, 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 the wine section, and it realised that you were a regular buyer of a particular type of wine and it might make suggestions as to an alternative. Or I, I've never been subjected to this. but I'm feeling very people... personally targeted by this uh, particular buyer of a particular type of wine, Paddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. I, I, I don't know why that came to mind. <laughs> And but the technology is also obviously being used in uh, the track and trace apps and things like that. I know. Have have we all here been pinged? Oh, definitely. I've not <laughs> been pinged, although I did receive a message from them saying that uh, a PCR test that my son had had was one of the forty three thousand, which uh, may be in- incorrect. But it took them about three weeks to get this message to us. So, right here. A bit late at that point. <laughs> it was very late at that point. Nothing I could do. But there is, I think, I mean, the pingdemic is something we've discussed on this podcast before. And there is something particularly amazing about using that technology. You know, a mobile phone is an incredibly personal thing. And I mean, it's it's one of the most expensive items people people tend to own. I think the average price of a mobile phone is about £800 for a handset. So it's something that people always keep with them. And I think it's really interesting that that we're able to use that and innovate to um, take advantage of it and improve people's experiences. Well, I know being pinged doesn't necessarily improve your life, but um, but it, it does if it stops you getting or spreading COVID. True. Yes. So the other really exciting news from the last few months is that Heinz has acquired Helix. I'm sure that most people have seen this in the news, but for those who haven't, Heinz is an international real estate firm and it's acquired Helix, which is a specialist commercial property management company based in the West End. This is really exciting news and the two companies have developed their relationship over the last 10 years with Helix providing the property management services across Heinz's UK portfolio. And Helix will retain its management through the acquisition Um, So it's just, it's a really exciting time for both companies. And the acquisition also supports uh, Heinz's Europe-centric goals. Uh, They've got offices in France, Germany, Italy, and the Nordics. And that it's really exciting that they're focusing on the kind of the customer and the experience side of things. That's cool. It's good news. Yeah, really exciting. The other thing I mentioned uh, earlier was the idea of changing use. And a couple of things that I've seen recently are the kind of conversion of big box logistics where there's more of a focus on that last mile kind of thing. And those those big box warehouses being converted into studios. Another really exciting one that I heard about actually 
at a conference the other day was the V&A are fitting out space in the Olympic Park and it's the biggest move of art since World War II. And it's not just change of use of the space because they're also using a lot of technology in order to make their collections more interactive and in order to kind of increase access to them. There are things that haven't been seen for hundreds of years because they can't be bought out and they can't be shown in public, but using um, technology platforms, it's enabling people to see them and access those resources, which is really exciting. Another big change linking to that is JLL have launched JLL Short Stays, which okay. is again, the use of tech. And they are aiming to compete with Airbnb. It's the idea of offering, offering travelers professionally managed, flexible short-term rental accommodation in the UK. Well, that's a very bold move by JLL. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out. So that was our roundup of the news um, from where we've been away. And now we've got some sort of sneak previews of uh, two bits of more Remit-centric news from Remark and Return. So in terms of Remark, you may have heard us speak about this on previous podcasts, but it's our ongoing study about rent collection, both pre and during the pandemic. And I guess sort of post now, we're keeping going, but had the important mark of seven days past the rent collection due date, overall collection rose to 72%. This is the highest seven-day figure recorded since March 2020. So this is really great news, and the office sector is continuing to hold the highest collection rates, and leisure is still doing the lowest percentage. It's just at 57 compared to the office sector, which is at 82. So just for a bit of context, this is the commercial side that we're looking at and this is about 125,000 leases across the UK so really great we've got this data and yeah big jumps 15 to 72 percent in rent collection at the seven day mark so very exciting stuff. Yeah that is exciting and and the uh, next set of statistics are out very shortly so it'd be interesting to see how this quarter progresses and compares to the previous quarters. Yeah they're set to be really good. Yeah, it's worth mentioning, actually, that this current quarter is running at the same sort of trajectory as previous quarters, mm. but just at a higher rate. So that's really good news for the industry. And then we've got the return figures, which is the study of the number of people, the volume of people going back to the office, passing through turnstiles, which uh, has been ongoing since May of this year. And the latest figures, which uh, relate to the week ending the 22nd of October, um, drop back ever so slightly, 2% nationally. Um, but this is a pattern we saw early in the summer, which was uh, a weekly fluctuation and it would hover around a particular figure. It seems to be that 20% seems to be that sort of baseline number now. It also shows that we've got a lot of people going to the office on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays and fewer people on Mondays and Fridays which is a, a pattern which has been seen throughout in all of the major cities in the study around the UK. In London last week, the figures were pretty stable. It dropped back a, a small amount overall, but the West End saw 27.3%, which is the second highest volume recorded during the study, which is good news. And the city and Midtown did okay, although Docklands dropped back a bit last week when the weather was poor, so maybe... Maybe that's uh, an influence on it. But generally speaking, things are on an upward trajectory. Great. And those are those are pretty fresh figures, aren't they, Paddy? They've come in the last half hour. So, yeah, very fresh. 
great work. No one, no one ever tell me that Recast isn't perfectly up to date. Now, talking about returning over the past few weeks and months, as well as going back to the office, we've seen a return of face-to-face conferences and events. To talk about the value of these events to property companies as we emerge from the pandemic, Emily and I had a catch-up with Remit Consulting's very own Melissa Hutchison, who attended MIPIM in September and more recently a BizNow conference regarding the state of the market in London. Let's hear what she had to say. Hi, Melissa. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Paddy? I'm very well. Thank you for joining Emily and I today to talk about conferences because you've been to a couple two or three in the last month or two how was it or how were they how were they um for me really exciting it's good to be back in person but really different for each of them so um yeah it was they were good overall I would say it was nice to see people and uh to kind of see how the industry is moving along I think it's difficult when you're working virtually to see how things are going elsewhere yeah. So how was MIPIM in particular? Because that was, I think, the first big conference you went back to? Yeah, so MIPIM was the first one I went back to, which is kind of going back with a bang, I think. Um, it was it was interesting. The content, I have to say, I thought was really interesting. The focus this year was on performance and planet. So a lot about um, ESG and what the industry is doing in that respect, but also about tech and data, a real massive focus on how data helps us inform all of our decision-making. But as a conference itself, kind of interesting because, um, well, 7,000 people approximately down from, I think we reported in 2019 that it was 26,500. So real difference in terms of attendance. Um, And a little bit weird feeling, a little bit odd. In what way? Um, Firstly, and I will say about for all of them, I think I'm out of practice. Um, I normally am absolutely gung-ho about these things, but definitely felt the nerves in a way that I haven't in a while um, about, oh, strangers. Um, but also everyone's got to have their COVID pass, which is absolutely the right thing to do. But also in France, everyone was wearing masks. And I think due to the size of the venue and the number of people, there were a lot of spaces I don't think I'd realized in networking how much you have chance encounters based on a body language. Um, you see a smile and you think, oh, friend or foe, they look kind of friendly. I'll give it, you know, I'll go and say hi, give it a go and see see if they have something interesting to say, which with a mask on is really difficult to tell. Everyone looks like a little bit angry, but also it just it sets, or at least I found um, a physical barrier. I'd actually be really interested to know if there are people who haven't found that because most of the people that I've spoken to have said, yeah, as soon as there's masks involved, there is just that extra barrier to get through. It's also, if you're talking in different languages, incredibly difficult sometimes to understand without being able to see lips. And you spend a lot of time saying, sorry, what? Uh, excuse me, sorry, could you say it again? That's a little bit awkward. Yeah. I, I was at the uh, Real Estate Investment Day in Frankfurt back in September at the same time. And that was similar. Lots of people wearing masks um, and, and it does make it difficult. You can't lip read. And particularly when you're not speaking a native language or someone speaking to you in not their native tongue, it is very, very tricky. Yeah. I think we just, I mean, being back in person was great for me. Learning in person is definitely the way to go. I found the content really interesting and was able to really listen, but from a networking perspective, quite difficult um 
you know, in lecture theatres, there was a lot more room than there would normally be. You know, you would have to sit next to someone when there's 26 and a half thousand people there. 7,000, if you sit right next to someone and the rest of the row is empty, you do get a bit of a look of why. <laughs> like leave some, You can feel the kind of like, leave some personal space, please. Yeah. Um, which I completely understand. You know, it's completely reasonable. We've all spent the last kind of 18 months, two years sequestered away by ourselves and, there is some nervous, there is nervousness, which is completely reasonable about getting unwell, but it makes the chance encounter very difficult if you're avoiding everyone. Yeah, yeah that's really interesting. It's it's interesting to see how different countries are doing it. Um, I was at the EG Future Female Leaders event, and it wasn't a massive room we were in, but every seat was full and no one had masks on. So you were sat next to everyone and strangely enough, felt quite normal. Um, I don't know if you found this at other, like, other conferences, whether it is like different countries restrictions that are affecting it. So I would say um, absolutely like the two that I've been to in the UK, both BizNow's London State of the Market and uh, CRE Tech uh, most recently in the UK. You have to show your pass when you go in to show that you've mm-hmm. been vaccinated. But beyond that that you've been vaccinated or have a negative test but beyond that then it's very normal it felt you know everyone sits in the seats there's a lot and it sort of validated my thoughts that the barriers are what stop the chance encounters because at those sessions still a little rusty still not as confident as I maybe was a couple of years ago about approaching strangers but a lot more chance encounters a lot more people that I could talk to felt comfortable going up to you also don't feel like you're getting in someone's personal space who doesn't, who is uncomfortable. Um, I think maybe it's an inbuilt thought that if they are there, they are happy to meet people and be around people. Um, So definitely I would say in the UK, very different. I mean, not a conference, but I also went to Amsterdam recently on a a business trip and you can feel it. There's a lot more kind of mask wearing indoors um, and control. Whereas in the UK, where we've kind of limited the restrictions, it does feel a lot more normal, whatever that is nowadays. Um, However, it poses an interesting point. There's a lot of talk in the government right now about should mandatory mask wearing be brought back? And if it does, Mm -hmm. I do wonder how that will affect this kind of return to normal, particularly when it comes to networking and meeting people in the industry, because everyone I've spoken to is thrilled to be back in person. Yeah. yeah, totally. It's quite been a bit of a watershed, I feel, that suddenly as soon as it wasn't mandatory and these events have come back, everyone has been super excited. So I will say it might be a situation of preaching to converted. If you are one of the people that's attending those events, you're probably one of the people that wants to meet people in person. Mm. So it is possibly a little you know, echo chamber of the types of people that want to meet in person. However, without that, how do you go about if you are that personality type and if that's how you thrive best at work, how do you work without that? Which is a whole different topic maybe for another day. Um, it, it is, but with the what you said about MIPIM and being the fewer chance encounters and obviously the, the international language barrier is a real thing. I think you said to me that you pre-planned a lot of the meetings that you did have, which was perhaps a difference from MIPIM 2019. So actually, for, for me, as a first-time MIPIM, MIPIM attendee, I didn't have a lot of pre-planned meetings, but the meetings that I did have had been organised with a colleague who knew who was going to be there, so they were fine. And I know that at MIPIM previously, a lot of my colleagues have pre-planned meetings, 
one of the things I found is with the limited number of people are going, not a lot of people I knew were attending. So I was sort of relying on the chance encounters in a way that I maybe wouldn't have been in normal years. But also it was a little disappointing in that there are a number of companies and exhibitors who I'd expected to be there that I really wanted to engage with and talk with who possibly have been past clients or, you know, companies we've talked to before who actually just didn't attend on the day. So I, I don't know if that was due to nervousness. I don't know if that's because they didn't think it would be worth it. But the only meetings I really had were kind of pre-planned and then a few of the exhibition uh, exhibitors who had attended uh, I spoke to. But other than that, in some ways, it was possibly a good thing. I really concentrated on the content, which for me, um, for the last year, is something I've been really missing. Um, it's the nerdy side of me, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but it was really interesting to hear about the movement in the market and the move, mm-hmm. like real, the things that we've been talking about, we talk about them internally in our company, we talk about them with our clients, but to hear them discussed on a much wider global scale. Oh yeah, we're on the right, you know, we are talking about the same things. We're on the right lines. We do see the problems was, was really uh, nice for me, but it did mean that I didn't have a lot of networking uh, opportunities. Yeah. I, I wondered the, the the apps that both they have at MIPIM and Expo Real and I'm sure others where you can pre-book meetings in my experience have never been widely used before and I wonder whether next you know going forward so next March at MIPIM uh, and and in future years whether people will use those more that'd be an interesting uh, thing to, to keep an eye on yeah definitely I also think it's a really interesting concept in that I'm sure there are people that are amazing at it um, I really hate the term hybrid office working. I think there's a lot of talk about it at the minute, um, but it's almost a bit like that hybrid when it comes to conferences. I am an in-person person. So actually doing a lot of things on an app is not my natural forte. I don't ne- naturally lean towards that. Otherwise I'd be perfectly happy with virtual conferences probably. I know I have some uh, colleagues and peers who for them, they're perfectly happy for it to be virtual. And I'm sure they're very good at using the app, but then don't necessarily want to go in person. Um, so it's it's kind of not, we talk about hybrid offices, but I don't, I don't think it's just that. It's kind of that hybrid way of working that you will engage virtually first and then meet in person. And I've seen them and I've logged into all of the apps, but have not actually really used them because it's not my natural. Yeah, I think that's... I, th- I think, you know, in previous years, it's just sort of go along and see who I bump into almost. And, you know, you may arrange a few meetings in advance, but the technology is there to arrange these meetings in mm. advance. And, and it'd be interesting to see whether those are used more widely. I do think possibly they will have to. Um, from my perspective, one of the things that I've really been considering, possibly slightly off topic, but one of the things I've really been considering is the worth of them, given that we have the virtual ability. For me, um, there is definitely much more engagement in person. And I think you learn a lot more and get a lot more out of it. However, there does have to be a value for money, but also a value for the environmental impact of these things. There is obviously a social impact, which is generally, I think, quite beneficial for the people that are there. So that's a good thing. Um, but the weighing up of that of that um, impact, particularly if you're a company who's looking at your scope kind of two emissions in terms of the things you have control over but aren't directly related to your business is it worth for example MIPIM which is for most people a flight do you look at other ways of getting there but if you are going to go 
how much value are you going to get out of it? And so for me, actually, the thing that might force me into using these virtual technologies that mean that I can really make sure that I have things planned and get the most out of it, that might be the thing that might be the change factor for for me personally. And I wonder if that might also for other companies, because I definitely have been talking to um, people at these conferences about their the cost benefit analysis uh, of these international meetings. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, it's something I was thinking about having chatted to you in the office and all that kind of stuff about MIPIM. And it, yeah, it's always had such a reputation and it's massive. But like you said just now, some people who you expected to be there weren't. And I wonder if going forward with what you've just said as well now about the apps need to be brought in, whether attendance will drop. Will we go back to the 26,000 numbers? Because will people start, like you said, valuing it up various factors that contribute to not going so this year one of the things they did was put everything out on demand so you could buy a ticket that was purely virtual so you could see everything that had been recorded which i think you are the sort of person that learns that way and can Mm -hmm. gather information maybe if you don't want to meet people or you network in a different way maybe you don't need to attend they also had um one speaker for a session who couldn't attend i'm not really sure for the for what reason but they delivered their talk on finance as a lever for change virtually it was uh in an auditorium and for me as the listener it was still beneficial to be there in person in a mindset where I was concentrating um because that's what I struggle with um but they were able to deliver it virtually and that you know if you're only coming for one talk that's kind of amazing um I think like I said for me whether attendance goes up or down for me there's more about the checking that people are actually going to be there that I think are going to be there and not relying on what has been necessarily advertised, but doing that kind of double confirmation. Interesting stuff. That's been really interesting, Lisa. Um, And, you know, final question, will you be at MIPIM in March, 2022? Will I be at March? We will have to see. I don't know who's going from our company. I would love to be, I'd love to see how it develops. And like I said, the speakers were all absolutely fascinating. So um, fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, I will see you there because I've already got my flight booked. So (laughs) regardless, Paddy will be there. I'll be there. there. Well, there we go. That's one meeting done. (laughs) Okay. Thanks again, Melissa. See you soon. soon. Bye. Bye. That was Melissa talking to us about MIPIM and other conferences she's been to and return to live events. Now, moving on. One of the reoccurring themes of the podcast in the past has been innovation and how businesses transform themselves. And recently, Emily mentioned to us that she thought that one of the great drivers of innovation is laziness. So we thought this would be an interesting conversation to be had on the podcast. So, Emily, can I ask you what you meant by laziness leads to innovation? Well, yeah, of course. So how I thought about this is that often innovation is to help make things easier. Um, and does that just mean lazy? But for example, I'm looking at you two both on a screen. Um, we're recording this over Zoom not in one of the fancy recording studios, as you may imagine, with the quality of our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think they they know. (laughs) (laughs) But how, yes, this might have been necessary for us during the pandemic, but how many people now are opting for these innovative solutions when 
because it's easier for them to stay at home. I know at uni, if you have the option to watch your 9am lecture in the afternoon from the comfort of your sofa, that seems often way more appealing than trekking for half an hour to sit in a lecture hall. So that's where the idea came from, Paddy. But you could argue that students are inherently lazy people. And and I sorry, Kat, I'd like on. to dispute that already. Um, so one of one of the arguments that I was going to make uh, against the fact that lady, laziness leads to innovation is that surely it, there, there's a real big difference between having having an idea and thinking, oh gosh, I wish a robot would go and make me a cup of tea and bring it to me because I really can't be bothered to leave my desk, and actually developing that robot, you know, creating a prototype planning it, training it, coding it. There is there is an enormous difference between having that idea and actually getting your cup of tea robot delivered. Um, I, as quite a lazy person, uh, haven't bothered to develop such a robot. I normally just call down and ask my father. Um, so when you say students are inher- inherently lazy, I strongly disagree because they are people who have actively chosen to further their intellectual ability. In the same way as people who have these ideas, who actually develop their innovative product, have actively chosen to take steps to improve. So, Kat, don't you think that when you're calling down to your mum or dad to ask you to make a cup of tea, you're still cutting the time and the effort you're having to put in? So is that arguably innovating the way that you make your cup of tea because of your laziness to walk downstairs? I think you could argue that it's it's innovative if it hadn't been done before. Um, and I think that's a real thing. It, innovations, um, there's there's the quote, isn't there, that there's nothing new under the sun. And I think innovation is looking at things a different way. At the risk of using another quote immediately, I know Henry Ford said that if I'd asked the people what they wanted, they'd have said faster horses. And his innovation was bringing in mass production of motors for cars rather than um just finding a quick fix a quick win so sticking with the car industry i guess you could say the innovation though of uber is that it's a taxi company that owns no cars and not only is it giving people a quick easier way of just getting around but by having no cars they're cutting their costs cutting all their collateral a lot is that not a great way of using potentially their laziness to innovate a solution that has literally taken the world by storm. I think you probably have a point there and in terms of the a lot of the innovation of Uber is exactly that it's it's finding ways around um, things that might have been problematic for a traditional style taxi company in the same way as Airbnb um, also owns actually is one of the biggest accommodation providers in the world and owns no property. And very similarly to like food delivery apps, Deliveroo, Uber Eats or grocery delivery apps that we mentioned earlier. These have all come from this idea that, yeah, maybe it's not so easy to just go out and get your own food. So or maybe people are too lazy to do it. So cut the corners, make things quicker, easier. Is this innovation all in the same way because of this laziness? I think those I think those are really interesting examples because if we're if we're talking about the concept of laziness um i think it probably depends what you do with your extra time mm, um, yeah. we we have a lot of organizations that we work with which are profitable businesses which are looking to improve things 
and they're doing so it's it's similar to the point that I made earlier about university students striving for further intellectual improvement mm. um as I imagine some do um but when you see a profitable business which could probably continue to be successful without making many changes really making that effort to streamline its processes to improve efficiencies to improve Mm. its data to make life easier for its members of staff that is generally so that they can do other more value-add activities Mm. um, rather than so that they can have more coffee breaks no yeah totally I think that's kind of looking at laziness in two ways there's are people lazy because they enjoy sitting around doing nothing or is laziness about time and cost efficiencies maybe to give yourself more time and money to sit around and do nothing and if it's the latter then you could have someone sitting in a company that's very profitable working a full working week and think I reckon I could do this in half the week and then free up time to be used however but you could argue that that spark for change is coming from a lazy brain of this is taking too long to do I'm going to do it in a shorter time period (laughs) you you do say that but we also see a lot and and one of the things that we really try to prioritize is making sure that there is buy-in from the people on the ground when we are um promoting change in companies Mm -hmm. whether or not it is innovative change to help lazy people have more time to be lazy or whether it's to actively increase profits and Oh, I don't think I don't think we should be putting to allow your employees to be lazy on proposals. <laughs> <laughs> that might be an interesting turn. Is, isn't, do... it, isn't it the uh, the laziness or, or making things easier for people? Isn't that more of a focus on the customer or the client rather than your staff? I mean, it improves efficiency. It gives you more time. So it gives you more time to go out and do things which are profitable not necessarily to lounge around around the water cooler and drink coffee. I agree. And I also think that improving customer experiences and removing kind of blockers, um, like barriers to entry for your customers, almost, if you will, allowing them to be a little more lazy is exactly how um, a number of property companies are beating their competitors because they are making them easier to buy than another service provider or spaces service provider just to kind of close this one off i think what we're what we're taking out of this is that uh the target market for innovation might be people who want to save some time whether that is for them to collapse in front of a television show or whether that is for them to be more productive in other areas of their life um i know i can't sustain my banana bread baking habit if i'm in the office five days a week Um, (laughs) so i need some innovative solutions to help me out there now, on that note, Kat, not banana bread, but innovation and laziness, um, we've come to that point of the podcast where I have to ask you if you've got a cat's cliche. I do indeed, Paddy. Um, this is one that is, um, it's it's close to my heart. Um, some, uh, some people who've known me a long time may remember Uh, our business cards and how on the back of roommate business cards they have a quote printed um with the idea being that that is something that um really encapsulates our message and the quote that has always been printed on the back of my business card because i like horses is gently and persuasively helping your horses to drink so my cliche for today 
is you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And the thing I would like to, to kind of draw out about that is that new innovations will only work if people, if they, if they work, if people want to use them, if there is an uptake, your horse will only drink if it wants to. It might take a bit of persuasion. It might be persuaded by the fact that it's a lazy horse and um, you've already taken it to that water. So we'll have a drink now, even though it's not thirsty. But innovations only work when there is uptake. And I think that that is the takeaway from today, that the um, changes in the pandemic, the things that have really come out of it well, um, providers such as Zoom, which existed before, but were really not widely used. And now um, I don't. I don't believe there's many people who haven't heard of it, whether that be through work, um, actually using it in the workspace or through the uh, the hashtag Zoom fails um, that we've seen throughout. <laughs> my favourite being the cat lawyer. But yeah, that's my cliche. So I think that's a good point to finish today's podcast. And I'd like to thank Emily for joining us. And thank you to Kat again, as usual. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to today's episode of Recast. As always, the links will be in the description on Podbean and you can also catch us on Spotify. Please do tweet me with any feedback at remitcat and especially if you, like Emily, are an avid listener. <laughs>